Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Well, we are in our third week of this series, and uh, it's Man Month here at Dogwood, and we've got just five messages, and we're not going to even scratch the surface of all that God has to say in His Word to us men uh, uh, about biblical manhood, what it means to be a man, how to fight the good fight of uh, faith. But we're going to give it a darn good shot in five, uh, in five weeks here. Two weeks ago, we um, opened the Bible uh, to the first three chapters in the book of Genesis to see God's original blueprint for man. Uh, for men and for women uh, there in that passage. Uh, Last week, we went to the New Testament, to Ephesians chapter 5, and we looked at the uh, maybe the foundational passage in all of the Scriptures that describe what it's like for a man to fight for his wife, not with her, but for her, uh, and love her as Christ loved the church. Today, Father's Day, we're going to um, talk about fighting for our kids, fighting uh, for our children. I'll be 62 years old in in, uh, August, so will J.B. Collinsworth. I'm not going to hang out here by myself. Uh, But uh, J.B., he and I talk about this some, and some guys in our generation and a little older, that when we find ourselves speaking, sometimes one-on-one, you know, basically all pastors do is we... We talk to people for and about God, and we talk to God for and about people. That's basically all we do. And so sometimes when we're talking to people, men younger than us, um, I find myself now speaking more as a father with the voice of a father and sometimes the voice of a grandfather. And uh, guys in my generation do that. Uh, one, of the, one of the topics that I'm frequently asked about by younger dads is about this fathering issue, this parenting issue. And I don't know, I've got a good friend, been a friend for a long, long time now. He's a member of this church. He's still a young man. He's a young father. And he's just the latest in a long line of guys who last Thursday evening, when we had our big vacation Bible school uh, family celebration here, uh, called me on the patio, and while all the activity was going on on the inside, he said, would you sit down here just a minute? And I said, sure. And I think I'm probably 25, 30 years older than he is. He said, uh, now you've raised your both your girls, right? You have, uh, yeah. He said, how do you do it? How do you do it? Um, serious. That's a, and that's a, that's, the, uh, that's a big question, isn't it, guys? How do we do this? Now, for some of us, we, um, we in looking for how you go about this, we had a fairly easy time of it because we had great fathers. We had great fathers. Uh, they were not only world-class, they were kingdom of God-class fathers. And it, it, they just worked it in us, and, and we react and do a lot of the things that they did right. Um, But studies show that the majority of Americans these days, the majority, did not have good fathers. Some of them had 
lousy fathers. Some of them had abusive fathers. Some of them had absentee fathers. Some of them had all. But the majority now say, I, I didn't, didn't have a good father. What a, I don't naturally know what to do. Well, where do you go? To, to learn the answer to the question, how do you do it? Um, no matter your background, no, ma- no matter your background with your dad, every father and every father-to-be has a great, great model for fatherhood in God Himself, God the Father. Now somebody said, wait a minute, you mean I got to be God to be a dad? No, 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 I'm not saying that. But if you'll stick with me just a moment, I think you'll find that this is a very helpful approach to um, for us men as we fight the good fight of faith for our children to be fathers to our children. You see, God, the God of the Bible, is first and foremost a father. First and foremost. Our Lord Jesus, God the Son, came to tell us that God is a Father. In the most famous passage of Scripture, arguably the most well-known passage of Scripture in the world, the Lord's Prayer, He begins that section with two words. What are they? Our, our Father. Our Father. It was the favorite description uh, that Jesus had of God, our Father. The Father. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, He used this term, ten Times. Now, that's more than the term was used in the entirety of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. In just one chapter, he used it ten times. Uh, the term is applied, Father is applied to God 189 times in the first four books of the New Testament alone, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God is first and foremost a Father. Now, while we men... We do not have to have all of the characteristics of God to be a great Father. In fact, we cannot. We're not God. We are not a spirit, even though we're spiritual beings. We're not invisible. We are, um, we're not transcendent. We do, we do not exist outside of creation, uh, outside and above and bigger than creation. We don't have the ability to create stuff out of nothing. We don't have the ability to be everywhere at the same time, even though sometimes the demands on us make us feel that way, just like it does our wives and, and the moms of our our children, uh, we, we're not, we don't have to be everything God is to be a great father. Now, while God has more characteristics than those of a good father, He does have all of the characteristics of a good father, all of them. And so we're just going to touch on six of those today. Now, God gives us His law or His will and His ways for several reasons, and one of, one of the reasons He gives us His his moral and ethical code is to show us where the fences are and to show us His expectations and to show us the way to go. There are, uh, the Apostle Paul said in the book of Galatians, they, were, they are our teacher. Now, ultimately, He gave us His moral and ethical expectations to show us that we can't match up to them and that we are sinful beings in need of a Savior and to teach us, take us to school to lead us to faith in Christ. But they are also there to show us where the fences are, to keep us from getting in the ditch. And so we're going to look at six of these characteristics knowing that, okay, this is a darn good start. If I can pursue relating to my children in these ways, I'm getting in view some of what it means uh, to be 
a good father and win the fight of faith. So here's the first one. Get ready. Jot this down. Uh, You can can win the fight of faith for your children if you will, first of all, help them. Help them. Help them when they are weak. That's what God the Father does for you and me. He helps. He gives power to people who trust in Him, His followers. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the Creator of the whole earth. He never grows faint or weary. There is no limit to His understanding. He gives strength to the weary and strengthens the powerless. Youths may faint and grow weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. God gives us power to do with His grace and by His power what needs to be done when we cannot do it on our own. And dads are to do the same thing for their children. We help them when they are weak in in every area of their, their life. We step in, in other words, and we give them the ability to do what they could not now do on their own, but they now can do because of our assistance, because of our strengthening. Uh, children learn to have faith in their fathers with this kind of consistent help. Uh, it, it happens in all kinds of ways. Uh, for example, when, when I was a little boy and I wanted to learn to ride a bicycle, I couldn't do it on my own. took the training wheels off. I couldn't do it on my own. I needed extra help. Well, my dad came along and did what you did when you were teaching your kids to ride the bicycle. He held onto the back of the seat and ran up and down the street till he just perished almost, you know, hanging onto the back of that seat. But, but until, until I could do it on my own. He, he enabled me. He gave me the ability to do with His help what I could not do on my own, but needed to do and wanted to do. And this happens at every stage of life. It happens with wisdom. It happens in, uh, in knowledge, key knowledge areas. It happens in relationships. It happens when we're fi- uh, facing struggles or, or suffering. It happens even in the financial areas. Talk about people who are grown. You're out on your own now. How many of you had your your parents come alongside you financially and enabled you to do something of great value with their help that either really needed to be done, was essential, or was really a great, great blessing in life? Like uh, help you through school, pay for school, or or maybe give you the down payment on a house or arrange to help you just get get things going. That just enough that you could you could do with their help, what you didn't currently have the ability to do on your own. Anybody get any help like that? Look, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so don't be, let's not be so stingy with our kids. And uh, now, I'm not talking about uh, yielding to the temptation that my generation and those of you who are a couple of decades younger than me who have kids are doing. We're guilty of being helicopter parents, you know. We, there's Harrison County, they didn't say hover. They said they hoover over there. Kids, uh, everywhere, and just you know, and don't let them fall. Don't let them do anything on their own. And if they if they foul up, we bail them out. They never have to take responsibility. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when they are weak, spiritually, relationally, financially, morally, physically, uh, 
in the essentials, that we, we help them that they may not faint and be powerless. And we never, when's that stop? I guess when you die. Uh, I guess that's when, you know, we, we never stop helping our kids. God's like that. He never stops. So we can win this fight for our children if we will help them. And also, number two, if we will know them, get to know what matters in the life of our kids. Now, our Father is all-knowing. Our Heavenly Father is all-knowing. God the Father knows everything. Now, men, once again, you and I are, are never going to know anything, even though we may act like know-it-all sometimes. We're never going to be like God and know everything. He knows everything about everything. God is the most intelligent being in existence. He knows everything about everything. We do not have total knowledge. We never will. I'm not saying that, but God knows us. He, he seeks to know us uh, intimately. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. No creature is hidden from Him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. He knows us. He knows us. And so, here are several things to work at knowing. Important to know in, your, in the life of your children, no matter their age or stage of life. Know your kids' struggles. Work at knowing what they are facing, their pressures, their struggles uh, currently, their challenges and trials in life, because God the Father knows yours. You can rest assured, you can take comfort in that. He knows yours, and He never forgets them, and He understands perfectly. We can never say to God, but you don't understand. Now, our kids may say that to us. We can never say that to, to God and be correct, because He does. He understands better than we do. He always does. Listen to this, Psalm 56, verse 8. The psalmist addressed God the Father and said, You yourself have recorded my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your records? There are things that are bringing our kids to tears, whether they're four or in the fourth grade or 14 years old or 40 years old. Work at being aware. Come alongside. Know what's going on. Uh, work at knowing your kids' acts of service, the things they do good to serve God and serve other people. God pays attention to yours. He knows yours. Look at Matthew 6, beginning in verse 1 and then verses 3 and 4. Jesus said, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people, to be seen by them. Not, don't let that be your motive, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, there is that temptation in our culture to say, well, people don't need to be bragged on for doing what's right. You just, they just ought to do what's right, and that's good enough. They don't need a reward, don't need a pat on the back. Well, not really. Not really the case. God is not below that. God, our Father's perfect, and He's not below rewarding the right thing done to the right people for the right reason in the right way. And so, watch when your kids, catch them doing something right. Catch them doing something right and, and get them off to the side and say, hey, you know when you did this for your mom or your sister or your, or your friend or that stranger, that was really good. That was really good. That's the way to live, the way to go, the way to go.
uh, know their know their acts of service. Work at knowing their sins. You know, God the Father knows yours. He knows mine. I'm not just talking about our mistakes. You know, let's not get mistakes and sins mixed up. Mistakes are mistakes. They're unintentional. Sins are intentional, right? Work at knowing your kids' sins. God knows ours. Look at Job chapter 34, beginning in verse 21. For his eyes watch over a man's ways, and he observes all his steps. There's no darkness, no deep darkness, where evildoers can hide themselves. You know, people don't get to choose their temptations. Are you aware, you're aware of that, right? I mean, you didn't pick your Michael, I didn't pick mine. Did you pick yours? Did you get a list and say, boy, I want that to tempt me? Uh, no. No, they hunted me up all by themselves. All by themselves. Now, I don't know anyone who ever said, you know, I think I'm going to be tempted to drink too much and become an alcoholic. That's what I'm choosing. No, I'm going to be tempted by porn. I'm choosing that one. No, I'm going to be tempted by anger and rage and violence. People don't choose their temptations. They do not. By the way, this is one of the reasons, another one of the reasons we have great motive to be compassionate toward our sons and our daughters, our brothers and our sisters, our, our friends and our neighbors who have same gender attraction. They didn't choose that attraction. Now, we all choose our behavior. We all choose what we do with temptation. Uh, but they didn't choose it. People don't choose their temptations. And so, but we all have them, don't we? And we all have our particular ones that are, Paul called them a thorn in the flesh. It's your hot button. It's my hot button. It's, it's that, uh, the old Puritan writers uh, called it uh, our besetting sins. The ones that just keep after us. Same old thing. James Dobson called it, we keep bump, said we keep bumping our heads on the same rock. All the time, all the time. Besetting sins. So your children have theirs. Or you can discover what they are. Work at knowing kids. So how, then why? Because why, Pastor? Well, then you can intercede for them. You can pray the stars down out of heaven for them. You can you can uh, you can come alongside them as brothers and sister as a brother and sister in Christ and encourage them and and show them God's word and teach them. Here's how we mortify the flesh. Here's how we put to death sin. Here's how we do this spiritual battle. Here's how we resist the devil so that he flees from us. Here's what you do practically. I mean, you, if you know, their, know their sins and become the kind of dad like our God, our fa Heavenly Father is, one that your kids can come clean to. Our Heavenly Father is the kind of father that we can admit our sins to. We don't have to cover up our sins. In fact, he says, when you cover up your sins, it dest they destroy you. Rather than say, well, if I told God what's really going on with me, zzzz, he'd, that'd be it. I'd burn like he'd just, I'd just waiting to send me into hell. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. He, said, he says, confess your sins to me. If you confess your sins to me, I will be faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's where we find help. Left to our own devices, we will come. You know, we're all legalists at heart. You know that, don't you? Our default setting is legalism. In other words, we, we think we earn, we're, earn our goodness, and so 
if we perform right, God will love us. If we don't, He won't. If, if I perform right, my important people will love me. And if I don't, they won't. So therefore, we put that onto our kids and we put that onto our spouse and we put that onto our friends. If they do what we want them to, we will, we will love them. But if we, they don't, we, we won't. And so our kids are afraid to come and say, i got a problem, i got a sin problem. Who do you want them to go to for help? God and you, they're the first two stops. They're the first two stops. Be the kind of dad that your sons and your daughters can come and confess sinful fail, sinful moral failures to so that you can embrace them and help them and strengthen them and say, hey, let's talk to God about this because He forgives and I still love you and let's go, let's figure this out. Whoa. Now, you that kind of guy? I'm, I'm not that kind of guy all the time. You're not that kind of guy all the time. We need outside help for that. But that's the way God is. And so we can say, God, help make me this kind of father. Help them. Know them. And also, you can win this fight for your kids if you will act reliable, if you'll be reliable. God the Father is incredibly faithful, dependable, reliable. He is altogether righteous and just. He is faithful, dependable, and unchanging. That's why we can trust Him. Uh, Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says, The rock, His work is perfect. All His ways are entirely just. A faithful God without prejudice. He is righteous and true. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every generous act, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With Him there is no variation or shadow or shadow cast by turning. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, because God the Father is completely just and righteous and pure and good, and because He is always faithful and dependable, trustworthy, and He never changes... You can trust Him. You can put your active trust in Him. Now, once again, guys, we're not God. And while some of us are more reliable and faithful than others, none of us are reliable all the time, are we? I mean, always, in every circumstance. No, no, we're not. And so we cry out to God, but we're learning, oh, okay, this is what a... This is what an effective father is. He is reliable. He is trustworthy. He is, his kids know he's going to do what he says he's going to do when he says he's going to do it. And so we hang on to God and ask for His grace and ask Him to grant us the power of His Spirit to turn us into that kind of, that kind of dad. We know we're on the journey. We know we're not there yet. We trust in, in Christ. Uh, you can win this fight for your kids if you'll be reliable, if you'll know them, if you'll help them. And number four, if you'll take kind and loving actions, loving and kind actions, even when they do not deserve it. We've touched on this already. For this is what God does for you and me. God is loving to us, and there's nothing we can do to make Him love us more. There's nothing we can do to make Him love us less. If we are in Christ, if we are followers of Christ, we have been redeemed, and we have been justified by faith in Christ alone, we're fully accepted 
by God. And He is good. He's even good to those who are still in rebellion against Him. Let's listen to these passages. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. He loved us and sent His Son even while we were still sinners. Listen to Romans 5, 8. But God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, in other words, we were still in active rebellion against the rule of God in our life. That's what sin is. I don't want you to rule me. I want to do what I want to do. I'm going to go my own way instead of God. You're fine. You're cool. You're good for everybody else. I, I want to do what I want to do. That is rebellion against a loving, gracious, all-powerful God. And it separates us from Him. While we were still shaking our fist at God, He died for us. He died for us. He, he loves us whether we deserve it or not. And we don't deserve it. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He, here we go. Here He is. He causes the Son, His Son, to rise on the evil and the good and to send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. People need sunshine. I'm going to give it to those who love me and those who don't. People need rain and water for their bodies and for their crops. I'm going to send rain on those who love me and I'm going to send rain on those who hate me. Wow. How do you become like that? I don't know. You hang on to Christ. But that's what good dads do. You know, again, we're back to we don't withhold love from our children if we're good dads just because of what they do or don't do. There's a guy that I admire in our community very much. I've known him for almost 30 years. He's been a friend and a fellow pastor, Pastor David Epps uh, at Christ the King Church here just over into Sharpsburg. He raised three boys. He had it a little tougher than me. I had two little sweet girls. But uh, years ago, when our kids were very little, we were having breakfast together, and he he told me about a conversation he'd had that morning with his four-year-old son. And he said his son walked up to him and said, Daddy, do you love me? He said, Yes, I love you. And he said, Even when I do something bad? And he said, Yes. And he said, why? I said, why? And he said, because that's what daddies do. And that's what God does. That's what God does. So we, again, we may not be there. We can't do it all the time. We're imperfect, flawed uh, people. But we hang on to Christ. But we can at least know, okay, okay, okay. This is, this is something to pursue, to be a great dad to my Kids, And there's a fifth thing. We can win this fight for our kids if we will also forgive them. God the Father is a forgiving Father. Look at Psalm 103. He forgives all your sin. All your sin. Psalm 86 verse 5. For you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive, rich in faithful love to all who call on you. He is ready to forgive. And so we forgive our kids. You know, we don't have to, you know, forgiveness comes without being asked. You know that. And that's what forgiveness is. Well, they didn't ask me to forgive them. That's not what God says. In fact, we don't have options when anyone sins against us as Christians. We forgive. We forgive as 
God in Christ has forgiven us. We forgive. We forgive. We forgive our kids. But even more powerful may be that we ask our children to forgive us. We ask our children to forgive us. We all have opportunities to do that because we all mess up as fathers. I mean, you know, there those things run through my mind, you know, those instances. I can remember one Saturday afternoon, I was off and I was spending the day with uh, one of my daughters. She was about eight, seven, eight, something like this. And we were having a good day. We'd been out riding bicycles or playing outside, and jumping on the trampoline, or I don't know what all we were doing a Saturday morning. And came in to get a little snack and turned on the television to see if there was anything on. And um, uh, there was a documentary on about a, a famous person that I was interested in. And they started quickly saying something about a significant incident in this man's life that I wanted to know about. Well, uh, my daughter's always had lots of words. And so she knew I was interested. She said, who is this daddy? Who is this daddy? Who is and I said, wait, wait a minute, honey, I'm trying to hear. I want to hear. Just wait a minute, wait a minute. And she, she but, but who is it? What? what? Who, who, and, I, and, and I got angry with her and I shouted at her. And it just broke her heart. Well, immediately, I, I didn't even need the Holy Spirit to convict me. God convicted me, but He did. <clears throat> Man, where does this out-of-control stuff come over things that don't matter? Well, she just sat down on the couch and was weeping. So I quickly asked God to forgive me. And I just got down and hugged her and God said, Look at me, sweetheart. I said, That was... Terrible what I did. And I said, I don't really care about that person or that TV show. You're important to me. And I, I behaved like you were not. I shouldn't have shouted at you. I shouldn't have been impatient. And I'm very sorry. I'll try to never do it again. Will you forgive me? And she said, Yes. Hugged my neck. And then she was over it and on. I never recovered. You know, I still have never recovered. Uh, from that, but now why why don't we do? Well, I you know why why don't we fathers do that? Why don't we ask forgiveness when we sin against our kids? In 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 the words of my little five foot tall, five foot round Pentecostal grandmother, is you're too prideful. She is worried about us all being prideful, Melanie. She said, "Now just watch out, you you'll get too prideful." Well, that's one of the we're too prideful. Sinful pride. So this is where we don't look to God as an example because God will never be in our debt. God will never sin against you. Some of you are mad at God. Let me say this. That is a terrible waste of time and energy because God always has your best interest at heart and He's working everything together for your good. Not that everything is good. Not all things in this fallen world come from, from Him. But you know, God defines good differently than we do. God defines good as anything that draws us closer to Him and makes us more like Jesus. And most of the time, the most effective thing that draws us closer to Him and makes us more like Jesus is suffering. But we tend not to call that good, but He would say, well, that probably is a good thing. See, God will never sin against you. He, we, he will never be in our debt. So 
He will not model coming to us and asking us to forgive Him. That won't happen. But we will have ample opportunity to seek forgiveness from our children. It's a powerful thing. God help us uh, to do that. Well, there's one more thing. Be there. You can win the fight for your children if you'll be there. Be present. Because God, God the Father, again, He's our example. He is ever present. Now again, He's everywhere at the same time. We'll never be that. But I love the words of the psalmist in Psalm 139, beginning in verse 7. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold to me. God will never leave you nor forsake you. He is present. Now, again, we can't all, we will not, we are limited. We won't always be present. We can't even be there when our kids need us all the time. It just doesn't work that way in life. But here's the, here's the principle. God help us to arrange life so that we can optimize our presence in their lives. God, God help us by your grace to be wise and optimize our lives so that we can be present, be there. Now, Circumstances are different from every for every one of us. Some of you guys are in, in uh, work right now in this season of life and you're high demands and you're traveling and you're out of town and that kind of thing. But thank God He's provided great technology. Uh, save up the money and get, get some kind of instrument that you can FaceTime or Skype. And many of you do that every night when you're on the road. Wow, that's a great, great thing uh, to do. Uh, you've got all, all kinds of... If you go back to... Uh, Deuteronomy, you'll find that God says that we're to be talking about the things of God to our children. And he gives us the times of day we can be with them. Uh, meal time, drive time, hang time, bedtime. Think about optimizing your day to be with your kids. Now, again, not everybody can do this. Here's just an example of me trying to figure out how to do this with our own kids. A very wise man in our church, who was he was already around the curve. He'd raised his kids told me this. He was speaking as a father to me. He said, now, uh, you're really busy with your church. Yeah, he said, you know, optimize your time with your girls. Okay, what do you mean? He said, well, you drive them to school. If you can arrange it, you drive them to school or you pick them up. I said, now, Everybody's trying to figure out how to carpool and be more convenient or get them on the bus and so you can go on about your things. And, and, and many of us will need to do that. Life demands are going to cause that for some. But for me, it didn't. For, you, for many of you, it does. For me, I had some options there. And so I thought, okay, that makes sense. So I drove the girls to school until they got their driver's license. And we're, we're into that chapter. <laughs> That's another story, another sermon. But um, uh, that 15 to 20 minutes, five mornings a week, pretty much, barring emergencies, some of the greatest time. We talked about everything you can imagine. We talked about everything from about, you know, first grade stuff like do worms yawn, uh, you know, I mean, st- stuff, stuff like that, uh, all the way up, all the way up to... Getting out into school and wow, Dad, what does mean? 
I heard this. So-and-so said, so we just said, well, okay, here we go. So we had a week long where I defined every profane word you can imagine. I did. Tell me every word you've heard. I'm going, mm. <laughs> you know. Okay, well, let me tell you what that is. And uh, when I explained it to them, they decided they weren't going to say any of those things. Uh, but we had those discussions. Then we got down to navigating relationships and wrestling with the big questions of God and faith. And what the Presbyterians believe? I mean, it was just that was everything you can imagine. Uh, treasured, treasured times just in that window. So you may not be able to do that. But what I'm just an example of optimize your ability to be present. How are that works? Because, uh, well, because as Jimmy and Jessica sang a few moments ago, it won't always be this way. Let's pray. Pray with me. I'll tell you what let's do. If you are, if you are, here with your father. Get where you can touch him. Uh, and, and moms, you get there too. Put, a, put your arm around his shoulder. Grab his hands. Kids, get around him. That's fine. You can get up and move around if they're seated somewhere else. But just get where you can touch your dad if you can. We're going to pray for the dads in the room. And uh, let me pray on our behalf, guys. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, we do come to you Praying as men, praying as fathers, some of us fathers-to-be. Lord, apart from You, we can do nothing. And so we deny ourselves and we take up our cross, lay down our lives and ask that You take our lives. Fill us with Your Spirit. You be at work in us both to desire and to do these things, both to will and to work in this way as You've taught us. Empower us to win this fight for our children by helping them when they are weak, by knowing them well, their struggles, their acts of service, the sins that they deal with, by being reliable, righteous, faithful, dependable, consistent, to take loving and kind actions regardless of their behavior. Grant us grace to forgive them and to seek their forgiveness when we sin against them. And Lord, grant us power and the provision of Your hand to be there, to be there, to be present as You are in our lives. And we give You thanks for these things. For some of you men, this begins by becoming a follower of Jesus, by admitting your own sinful rebellion against God's rule in your own life. The sin beneath all of your sins, which is what separates us. God, turn from it and place your trust in Jesus who came and died on the cross because of you and for you, paying the penalty of your sin so that you don't have to if you put your trust in Him, rising from the dead and defeating death so that He can give you new and eternal life. Ask Him to apply that to you personally. Commit yourself to Him. Submit and surrender. All of you are, and all that you can to Him. 
and begin this journey. Lord, thank You for hearing these prayers. Thank You that You hear us when we pray and that You help us. Thank You, Lord, that uh, You are a loving Heavenly Father to us. And now, as we have prayed for these things, we ask that You lead us in this way. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.